Emotional regulation is the sexiest characteristic in a potential partner. Welcome to Reclaim Your Radiance, a sex, love, and relationship podcast where our focus is on your most important relationship, the one with yourself. Each episode, we are joined by an insightful guest who shares their story about how they've become their best, most radiant selves, despite diverse challenges. We dive into the depths of loving yourself, creating healthy relationships, and prioritizing pleasure, play, and joy, all while never shying away from the tough stuff. Are you ready? Let's get to it. Hello, and welcome back to Reclaim Your Radiance, and Happy New Year. This month, we have an incredibly special episode. Now, I know I may say that quite often, because a lot of these episodes are near and dear to my heart, but this one is a little bit different. While on a working-from-home group staycation with a couple of good friends of mine, we started asking ourselves what we could co-create with our time together. And as I value their perspectives and wisdom on so many topics, I suggested a podcast episode. And something that had surfaced during our time was a question about relationships that had been weighing heavily on one of my friend's hearts. We decided to take that question, bring it into a round table, and expand upon it. The question was, when should a relationship last, and when should it not? When should you push through and work on the relationship, and how do you know when it's time to let it go and move on? To seek a partnership that is more nourishing and more beneficial to your life. And to go further, what are the characteristics that you're looking for in that long-term relationship? happiness and longevity, growth, comfort, companionship. It's different for all of us, to be sure. And from there, the conversation grew many branches, and I know that that's a lot contained within one conversation, but it was more of an exploration and a beginning to this conversation, as this topic truly has no end for any of us. We will all continue to explore and expand upon our answers to this for as long as we have relationships. So, to begin, we pulled up our chairs to to the fire in the chilly early fall evening air and answered these questions as best we could with the collective knowledge and experience that we have. And a note on the recording is that as this was recorded outside around a crackling fire in the countryside with late summer insects chirping in the night air, we do hear some of those background ambiance noises throughout the episode. And hopefully this allows you to situate yourself around the fire with us as we debate our beliefs and share our knowledge. And finally, at one point in the recording, you will hear one of the guest speakers referring to the four people around the fire, apart from himself, and this is because we had one silent participant, a live studio audience, if you will, just in case that confuses you. And so now, for our guest appearances in the order in which they first talk on the episode. First, we have Astrid, who many of you may know as Heather. However, she decides to change her name for the recording, as she had not yet decided whether or not to participate in this conversation anonymously. She is a brain health and gut health coach, a data scientist, and an endless seeker of knowledge to better herself, especially when it comes to relationships and emotional regulation. Second, we have Jacques. He is widely known as the party scientist, and his hypothesis is that human connection is the greatest medicine that we possess and that community is our greatest tool and healer. He is known for throwing sober parties that enhance instead of inhibit our ability to connect. And third, we have Hannah. Hannah is a slice of the latter two. Along with her masterful ability to hold space for healing and community, she supports radicalized, authentic expression, especially through the polarized expressions of grief and joy. 
As a somatic experiencing coach, she supports leaders, businesses, and diverse groups to rise up and elevate their experiences and abilities. Together, these three create a powerful force for transformation. They are some of the first people I turn to in my life for advice and as role models for continuous growth and self-improvement. I absolutely adore them, and collectively, they hold so much wisdom. So, without further ado... All right, welcome to Fireside Chats. Fire! Fireside! Fireside. All right, so the question that we want to answer tonight is how best to make a relationship last in the long run was that was that the co- basis of the the when question should they last and when should they not how much decision power or choice do we have in a relationship and its success yeah and i think another way to phrase that question is what is the nature of a desirable long-term relationship i mean we have to acknowledge that a lot of people fall into relationships and their default is to stay in them and not go get out of them and seek an even more nourishing relationship. And so, you know, I think the first question is really like, what is that nourishing long-term relationship that is so correlated with happiness and longevity, right? That's what I'm super interested in. I was just going to ask as well as when are we obsessively seeking more? So what is the difference between longevity and obsessed with a desire for more and not enoughness? So yeah, so I I think we can begin, you know, with this, this idea of like, what are some of these signals for like a relationship that we want to make long term that we want to invest in that we want to commit to and for me for me it's really with people who are willing to invest time and presence and it's not a one-sided thing there's there's mutual investment and then the other piece for me which is so important these are the people that I want to cultivate long-term relationships with is relationships that don't lead me to stagnate so I really love to be with people who have the growth mindset versus the fixed mindset and you know a lot of my family members have a fixed mindset and I actually notice myself being incentivized to stagnate when I'm with them versus when I'm with my tribe I feel inspired to do more to love more to be more open-minded to just become better but you know I love what Hannah says because this whole idea of better and like seeking more and like trying to you know what is enough what is enough and and I think we can get trapped in this idea like oh I need to like constantly seek better relationships you know like this one isn't good enough yeah I completely resonate with the growth mindset that was what I I popped into my head I was like right that's the number one thing is growth mindset and that I completely agree that I stagnate when I'm around my family and I go back to who I used to be which feels really scary and I would say that the reason because I've, I've been asked why the growth mindset is so necessary and breaking it down to like well you're going to continuously change who you are and so if you 
like if you don't have somebody who's willing to accept like you want to like somebody for something so far deep inside them not for any of their characteristics right like sometimes you find yourself liking somebody because they're you know they have the same career as you or they understand where you are right now but that won't last because those things might change and then all of a sudden like you you don't I don't know like share the same hobbies anymore and then all of a sudden you don't have that that glue that sticks you together so yeah it can you have to like something deeper and you have to accept all of the good and the bad well quote unquote good and bad in a person i'd like to bring up this idea of needing compatibility versus choosing your response internally because when you mentioned both of you going back to your families and feeling stagnant I also can relate but I also think that's a wonderful opportunity to test your growth there's actually a Ram Dass quote about this that I think goes along the lines of when you think you've reached spiritual enlightenment or inner peace go home to your family and see what happens I'm totally paraphrasing here, but I just, I really resonate with that because it's, I feel like it's so true for so many people. But yeah, the, the idea that we are in control of how we feel about our relationships, no matter the circumstances, your paradigm creates your experience. So just bringing that idea back in of how much choice do we have in creating that paradigm and does that ultimately make or break a relationship i would like to think that it can but i'm exploring that so i don't i don't know what do you guys think i would i would say just like choosing to give somebody the benefit of the doubt and choosing because yeah when you're looking at paradigms like you can choose to look at somebody and go like you're doing this or you're doing this and like assign negative assumptions to it or you can always go from a place of I'm going to assume the best and like really just constantly assuming the best of a person can likely get you to that place where you're able to have that like paradigm shift I'm noticing in myself that I love people for their characteristics and for their growth mindset and I find that a lot of people who are in long-term relationships they may not have like deep values alignment they may just live beside each other and so there's this whole other category of long-term relationships that are not based on personal growth or values and I feel like because we have so much optionality now in this globalized world, we're much more picky, selective, and evaluative of humans. And I wonder if that's really necessary, if, if these like traits alignments and like the degree of similarities that we need nowadays to want to be in a long-term relationship with someone... I don't think that was a necessary part when when our parents were being raised. Like I think that they had intimate relationships that were long term with just whoever was in their vicinity. And so I think it's really a choice it's a choice to find that nourishment and it doesn't depend on 
it may not even depend on your goals, right? And that's the other factor that I think is really important is like, what are your goals? Do you share goals with this person? So what I'm getting at is there's two categories of of long-term relationships. There's long-term relationships where you have shared goals and you're both, you know, growing together. And then there's long-term relationships that are just more simple and you know, you may just live beside each other. And I think that those can also be really nourishing. Uh, I love what you said about the difference between generations and this paradox of choice where we have all these options. If uh, you you may have read Aziz Ansari's book he wrote called uh, Modern Love. He talks exactly about this, about our parents generation how they kind of just married the person that was around the block just because they didn't have as much access to travel i guess grandparents would have been more accurate than our parents but yeah i just i just want to interject too like there's this brilliant photo of these two grandparents just like in a bed cuddling up all cute and old and stuff and there's just a quote underneath it that says like we're from a time where if it's broken you fix it you don't just dump it because Mm -hmm. that's what we look at with the globalization is we look around and we go, but there's so many options and there's a way to make this perfect. If I just switch people, right. And that's the solution. Put this down, throw this phone away, get a new one, like throw out, throw out. We live in like a linear economy. And so we're taught to throw things out, but all it takes is two people going, okay, well, like there's not that much difference between this person and this person and this person. And this is something that like Aaron and I talked about a lot. And like, ultimately we did come to the conclusion that like, it didn't work between us for many fundamental reasons. But at the beginning, it was very much like we can, like, if, if you get to a fundamentally, like if you get to a baseline of compatibility, everything else you can work on, everything else can be something you can work on together if you're willing to work on it together. And so yeah it comes down to you can work on it or you can dump it mm-hmm. just one one keyword willingness to work on the relationship very important criteria for a long-term nourishing relationship 100 percent agree and 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 i've also experienced the working on it and i've also experienced the lack of vitality so i'm curious to hear us dig in for a moment and just really sit with the question of have I felt nourished on an intellectual heart soul level and does this matter why or why not I think it depends on what you're looking for from the relationship it depends on what your like relationship goals are like hashtag relationship goals but I also I mean to me it's absolutely necessary because it's the person I'm going to see the most. It's the person, like, your relationships are mirrors, right? They reflect back to you who you are and how you're growing. And you're also going to absorb a lot of them, right? Like, if they're your primary partnership, if you live with them, if you have certain, like, large relationship markers, if you share property, if you share children, like, all these large things, they're going to be in your life a lot. And so you're going to absorb some of their tendencies. Like, you absorb some of their microbiome right like you like there's so much of them that becomes part of you and like you don't always have complete control over that like you do but it's going to happen if you spend a lot of time with the person and so in that way I think it's incredibly important for them to be part of that growth and for them to grow alongside you 
What is the difference of being a part of the growth and them growing alongside you? And where is it important to grow apart versus together? This is a question about the theory of balance. That is a very, very, very good question. And that's why we're here right now. That is probably the crux of everything. And I think one of the answers I heard in a book recently is just your gut will know. You know, when you've tried as hard as you could, as much as you can, deep down that you have the energy for, your gut will tell you or your inner voice or whatever you want to call it will say, you've done enough. It's time to rest or like move on. And that may not be a satisfying answer for people, but it's really hard to answer. All right. So now this feels like a conversation about inner trust and the lies that we tell ourselves to cover up what we're really experiencing and the impact that has on our overall health and well-being. I kind of want to stay with this question that you asked, Hannah. When is it that we become whole and, you know, two wholes come together? And do we become whole by growing in community and growing in intimacy with others or do we become whole through solitude and i that's something that i'm really interested in because i'm an advocate for community i don't think there's anything more powerful for driving behavior change than doing it in community and i've experienced the power of solitude and i've experienced the power of coming to terms with reality and the discomforts of reality through solitude because oftentimes unwhole people they rely on human connection to escape discomfort and so i think my position nowadays is more on the side of like aligned with our natural physiology I think that when we have external feedback and perspectives from other humans, um, even just a person paraphrasing what we've shared can lead to a whole deeper understanding of our process. Like one person paraphrasing our emotional process or what we shared to them can totally shift our perspective. So... I also know that like we're just we're just social animals. This is what our physiology is designed for. And so if we really want to change behavior when we're in a tribe, when we have that accountability, when we have those reminders, I think that can really accelerate us toward that inner trust so that we can um well create these ideal relationships right instead of anxious attached or avoidant attached relationships right so how can we leverage community and outs like non-romantic platonic relationships to keep us in alignment with our relationship goals one more thing so it's also romantic relationships that can be used to accelerate our growth Um, It's just that most people engage in romantic relationships in an unintentional, unstructured way. And I don't think in romantic relationships we even document things about our partners. Like, we all have manuals 
that we get to know subconsciously, but we just forget about those manuals because we have no intention in writing them down or structuring it. We just like, oh, my marriage is going to work out. Like, like if I'm going to be married, I'm going to figure out all the nuances of my partner and I'm going to write down everything they requested of me so that I remember it and that I repeat it and so that the conflict doesn't arise again and so that we make real progress, right? Y'all, are you listening to this? Hello, Editing Chris here. You may be a little confused in this moment as our voices began to raise in excitement and the microphone was actually no longer able to pick them up. Uh, This happens a couple other times in this episode when our conversation gets very excited. And so after this little interruption, you will be placed right back into our conversation where you'll find us laughing together as we tangented into some light fun and uh, poking around at Jacques' comment about how he wanted to write everything down in a marriage. And that turned into a joke about the best way to do this, like having a Google Docs, maybe? Um, You had to be there. And so now that you're hopefully a little less confused, I'll uh, drop you right back into the conversation. We need a document, and this isn't just... (laughs) Google Docs, baby! (laughs) And that is not an advertisement for Google. But Google Docs works really well. But, like, your, your comment about, like, how you can leverage community, like, it's just... The amount of people that we've all experienced in our lives that get into a relationship and then let every other relationship in their life drop. Oh my God. Like it's terrifying because like, oh my gosh, one of my best friends in high school, she always used to be like, and it's actually, her name is ironically Hannah, which is amazing. Um, But she was just like, boys come and go, but Hannah is forever. And like, that was our like, that was our motto was because we did have one of our best friends who she would get into a relationship and she'd be gone. We wouldn't see her. And then the second she was out of that relationship, she came back to us. Do you know the lyric in girls just want to have fun? Some some boys take a beautiful girl and take her away from the rest of the world. <laughs> True. Oh, my God. That's so good. But like it's. But right, like the, the that tendency that some people have to just drop every other relationship and to just forget, like, and just like focus in and try to get everything from that person. You can't get everything from one person. It's impossible. And that's what the role community has, right? Is just like fulfilling, like all your needs from a whole bunch of people. And I mean, we can get into the relationship smorgasbord, which is a whole wonderful concept of how you know you can you know, like you have all these needs and you can just say like, okay, well, I've, if I want to get a dog and a house and a kid and a long-term purchase and like all those things don't have to come from one person. We've shoved them all onto the plate of this one person. We expect everything from them. And that's absolutely insane. It's a lot of, a lot of pressure on a single person, right? <laughs> one more time for the people in the back. That's absolutely insane to get all your needs met by one person. Don't put that pressure on them. That's too much pressure for anybody to handle. And also, you will never get all your needs met that way. Okay. I want us to talk a little bit more about that. So this does tie back into one of the questions I asked about balance. So in in reference to indoctrination of how we've been taught to believe that we are meant to interact in our primary partnerships and... I want to debunk that a little bit and take this moment to to call in some light on one person being everything. And then what does it look like to share that load with a tribe? 
I also want to point out that our tribe is also helping us reflect our own needs, our inner child wounds that can help us reintegrate what we may not be able to process on our own. I did not have any awareness of this idea of inner child healing um, until I talked to people in my tribe. I started reading books, I started listening to podcasts, and it snowballs from there. So I think that's just one example. But I did want to bring back that idea that instead of searching for this perfect partner, let alone one perfect person, just the the idea that they have to fulfill your needs is completely false. As soon as we realize that, and we realize that we need to become the one who can meet our own needs. I'm reading this book right now called Becoming the One. Yes, wonderful book. Rising woman, if you follow her on Instagram. Wonderful, wonderful human. And the book talks about how you get to become the one. If you're noticing that your relationships have a similar pattern, you know, we were talking the anxious avoidant patterns, maybe you don't know what that is, go research it. As soon as you start noticing those patterns, you can start looking for your deeper inner wounds and work working on yourself and asking for what you need before projecting those needs and getting upset when your partner doesn't meet them can create so much space for more love and compassion in any relationship that I think will transform the world. If we can all gain these inner self-awareness capabilities of realizing, oh, I'm feeling anxious or nervous or angry, sad, fill in the emotion, and taking a breath to say, hmm, can this need be met by me going and self-regulating somehow? Choose your potion. Um, I like to just go in my room and breathe. Um, And then going back with a calm, clear head and asking for those needs in a very nonviolent, communicative way. Another resource I'd like to throw in here is Marshall Rosenberg, Nonviolent Communication, wonderful book. He's got YouTube workshops, and I won't go into all the details, but just it's essentially just asking, not demanding, um, that your partner helps you meet this need. Say you're feeling sad. I'm feeling sad. Could you help me by reassuring me in this way? That is all I will rant about for now, but I just, I love this conversation. <laughs> so, so, so good. I want, I want to point out two things from that. Everything about that was amazing, but the, that they help you, right? They're a help. They're not the answer, just like they are an augmentation to your happiness. They are not the source of your happiness. You are the source of your own happiness. You're in charge of your own shit and you're responsible for your own shit. And ultimately it's being able to express what you want, right? Even just being able to like, it's not their job to guess. Like say, like, like I'm slowly figuring out, for example, like, okay, I have these love languages. We like so many of us know these love languages now, right? And like, which one do I need a specific time? I get to choose, like, I get to figure out, I have the the amazing privilege of figuring out which love language corresponds to which emotion that I'm having, right? Like, I feel like we've just had conflict. 
I know that I need af- like words of affirmation when I've had conflict. And so I know to ask for what I want and ask for what I need. And that's a way of saying like, would you be able to help me by by providing this, right? And just like that direct ask for what you want. I mean, it's so hard to figure out what you want. Like it's literally like the hardest question to answer at all times is just what do I want in each moment <laughs> yeah. of each day? But that's what we all need to do. Can we just do a round, like, what does it mean to become the one? Because what I'm hearing is an awareness of one's needs and wants. For me, it's it's about cultivating full acceptance of the, like, mysterious and uncomfortable arising of like sensations you know to me it's like when we become the one we are immune to discomfort when we become the one we can face whatever anxiety nervousness worry uh uh, fear of abandonment to me at the root of it becoming the one is about like being fully accepting of the human experience which is which is suffering which is uncomfortable which is painful um yeah yeah yes yes agree <laughs> we're wired for that pleasureful pleasureful is uh, also part of the the human experience yeah but it, there, there's polarities thank you for that i just wanted to add to why i think what you said is so correct I had a sister, I had, I have a sister who ended up in the emergency room with a newborn baby and she was there with her husband and they thought they were coming in for a regular checkup, just like something, you know, might be, might be worthwhile to take them in and baby was sent off to emergency, husband wasn't able to come in, all sorts of things were happening to brand new baby and mom was left to her own devices. She was left to regulate her own chaos from within. Every emotion under the planet, every emotion that was happening in this little person, it was in many ways all of her responsibility. So for me, this is this is an example that no matter how much support we have in our lives, at the end of the day, we, we're kind of alone. We are born alone and we die alone and when shit can really hit the fan in our life when disaster strikes the ones that we love are not always going to be there the ones that we choose are not the ones that we prefer to be there are not always going to be there and it is it is the one you who's going to get you through that and so strengthening that relationship in my opinion in my experience is the and it sounds like my hands are going up in our circle here um is in a lot of ways the one of the most honor, the most courage, and um, that's truly going to get us through the storm and the rainbows of, of life. I would love to second that and just add that emotional regulation is the sexiest characteristic in a potential partner, personally. <laughs> and so, <laughs> but, but Astrid also, how would you be the one <laughs> like or that the, going back to that question i guess i i'm gonna still answer that question as well but and what does it mean to have a regulated nervous system i'm curious what you mean by that 
Great questions. Thank you for reflecting back the idea that I need to be the one to also have that emotional regulation because what I become is what I eventually attract and vice versa. I think it's it's a two-way street. It's a mirror. Use all the metaphors, whichever one. <laughs> Does being the one for you mean emotional regulation? Because I think, I think that was kind of what I was getting at is like when we're emotionally regulated, we can handle all the adversity and discomforts that we face, especially when we're deeply vulnerable with another person. Yes. And just to define emotional regulation, personally, to me, that means being able to feel the sensation of an emotion in your body. Perhaps you can even locate it and feel the texture or the temperature or the intensity maybe on a scale of one to ten and you can just notice that this is happening in your body and take a step back and take a moment to collect yourself and choose your response very basic meditation principle if you really want to dig into vipassana meditation or many other types but mindfulness essentially is is what i'm trying to define here so not only mindfulness but also being responsive to what's coming up to you for you and communicating that because um, it doesn't really help a ton if you're mindful but then you shut down and go hide in your room so i guess there's like two pieces of like being aware and then adding on the executive functioning regulation piece of like realizing oh i need to go breathe or take some space or ask for my needs again what i was saying earlier hope that helps answer some questions amazing okay so we've so today we've gone around now to answer the question how do you how do you be the one how do you know the characteristics of being the one for yourself. So we've had radical self-acceptance and we have the deep understanding of of like what it means and the importance of what it means to really be the only one that's there for you and emotional regulation. And I'd like to add as, you know, I guess this is the, this is the name of the game, this is the name of the podcast, but radical self-love. And radical being an important part of that because you know I've always I've always thought that like I really did love myself and then I've even just like the last couple weeks I've been taught I've I've listened to other people who have even deeper understandings and like it's yeah I don't know sometimes I reach that plateau where I'm like oh yeah I got it I know this stuff and then like somebody shows you just a light and something even deeper and you get to go even deeper with it and it just shows you can always grow and you can always learn and it's wonderful and in this case, it was just like really looking at that love and being like, okay, but it's loving absolutely everything. And like, like take the, like loving your pettiness, loving, loving when you're angry, loving when you're sad, loving when things don't work out and just like showing that same kind of like deep love that comes from like, comes from a really, I guess, deep place. It's loving all that is. Loving all that is. So not just loving yourself in in the perfection but loving the imperfection as well and having the same level of support for all parts yeah perfect 
Thank you. Thank you for finishing the thought. But yeah, just that having that love to give to yourself and nourishing yourself through that is how you would be the one. Mm. Nourishing. Let's all take a nourishing breath together. <laughs> So I'd like to circle back to this idea of accepting our imperfections, because if we are able to percept, sorry, accept our own imperfections, that makes it easier to accept other people's imperfections. And I feel like this comes up a lot in relationship where we go through the honeymoon stage, things are wonderful, and then you start noticing some of their pesky habits, and you start nitpicking and realizing their flaws, or their perceived flaws. And then you might start noticing some judgment come in. And I learned recently that this need for things to be perfect or people to be perfect can actually be a trauma response. Perhaps you grew up in a childhood home where all of your needs were not being met in some aspect and you had to just accept that your caregiver wasn't fully perfect that would have jeopardized your entire safety. So you had to disregard this idea that they were not perfect and just love what was happening to you or accept it. And this becomes your story as you grow up in that, oh, things aren't safe because he's they're not perfect. Um, and it triggers this childhood memory of, oh, but I have to love them, but they're not perfect so now I'm not safe and you get caught up in this holy crap I, I don't know what to do because my nervous system is not safe if that makes any sense so one way we could maybe become aware of this is just reflect on that and then maybe to overcome it just play with this idea that everything doesn't have to be perfect just try to work with your nervous system on that one Shout out to somatic experiencing, meditation. Yeah. Yeah, I want to point out that there's a spectrum of perfectionism in relationships. And so, and, and both sides, both sides of the spectrum undermine our well being. And so, if we are too radically accepting of others, we're in constant compromising mode. And we're essentially giving all the time and we're experiencing helper syndrome and we're getting burnt out and that that is radical acceptance of people's imperfections it's it's about accepting narcissists and allowing narcissists to stay in our lives that's the shadow of being um, the opposite of a perfectionist and being uh, a really generous giver now, the other side of the spectrum is being a perfectionist, being hyperjudgmental and quitting prematurely, quitting relationships very early and potentially impulsively. So 
on the perfectionism side, you quit a relationship way too quickly. And on the helper's syndrome side, you never quit. You're a loyalist. And so even when it's unhealthy, right? And so I think that we need to strike a balance here and we need to judge people's uh, willingness to work on the relationship. We need to judge their emotional regulation, their their willingness to own up to their reactivity. We all have reactivity. So I think it's super important to judge. Otherwise, we're going to hang around toxic people and we're going to be too accepting. And I think there's also uh, an argument like we don't want to... We, we, we can accept parts of ourselves, we can accept our imperfections, and also judge them to not be aligned with our goals. And so there's this conditional acceptance, like, yeah, I accept this is, I accept that, like, let's see, uh, an example from my life, like, I accept that I communicate very abruptly and bluntly and insensitively sometimes. I accept that. And that's not aligned with my goals of making people feel nourished and like they're in a secure relationship with me. So I'm judging that imperfection to not be aligned with my goals and that's perfectly okay. And that's actually beneficial for me. And so this whole radical self-acceptance movement I think needs to be contextualized in this, in this frame of like judging things to not be aligned with your goals is healthy and is aligned with your long-term well-being. Especially if you're able to take healthy, motivated action after reflecting on that. Let's say, let's play a game. We're in a relationship that feels really good most of the time. There are a few moments... Oh yeah, Jacques just waving his hair around like he's riding a horse. <laughs> How good does it feel? Well, yeah, like a lot of people are in relationships just because it feels good to touch each other, right? Like, and they're addicted to that f sensation because it's hardwired in us. And then most of the rest of the, the rest of the relationships pretty unhealthy, but it's like, it feels good sometimes. So, oh dear. <laughs> and, and Astrid, you, you know that Jacques was miming not riding a horse, right? <laughs> Let's just put that out there. The imaginary. Thank you. I didn't see the imaginary horse here, but I think it was... My favorite song is Pony. <laughs> okay, but, okay, so I, I once heard an actor talking about how he had to pretend to ride a horse, and basically the director said, yeah, just pretend you're having sex. <laughs> That's how the two got crossed. Anyways, continue. <laughs> Thank you for that lovely visual. <laughs> It's actually really helpful. So, so you're. <laughs> so uh, you were sharing the example, Astrid. Let's play a game where we're imagining that the relationship is wonderful. You feel aligned in your values, your life goals. You see a future with this person, and it's healthy for the most part. There are just a few little things that really get on your nerves and create judgment within you. And maybe that also creates conflict interpersonally. Let's play with this idea that we are able to control our thoughts about this person and their quote-unquote bad habits. What if we were able 
to choose to love them unconditionally. We take out the judgment. It's not as easy as it sounds, but we make up our minds that we're going to love this person unconditionally. That means there's no condition where they forget to clean up the laundry that we stop loving them, right? That's the definition. Is it possible to create this paradigm of unconditional love that I think is possible? I'll give it away. That's my opinion. I'm curious what you guys think. Uh, Where we sort of curate our thoughts and really focus our energy on loving and caring and accepting this person exactly as they are. Will that make life easier? Will that shift your reality? How you spend your attention is your life. Your life is what you pay attention to. And so if you're constantly paying attention to these things that you witness in your partner that come up maybe 1% of the time, then that's going to characterize your relationship. And so, yeah, if you're spending time reinforcing those thoughts and letting those thoughts have power over you and you're spending time ruminating about these traits and these behaviors, that's certainly preventable by practicing mindfulness and just practicing choice. Mindfulness is the art of choice. So yeah, we need to shift what we pay attention to and we need to sometimes replace uh, when we when we witness someone do something we don't like, we need to replace that with the hundreds of good things that we see in this person. I also have a different solution for you. Um, I, I definitely agree with that solution, but in certain cases, I think the answer would, again, be to love it, right? So even though, like, even if it's, and again, so much easier said than done. I recognize that. But let's say, let's say, for example, okay, let's say you really don't like that your partner won't exercise, Let's say they have this unhealthy habit or that something that you have judged to be unhealthy that, you know, that you would really love if they would exercise with you and they just, they just don't. And that's really hard for you to love. Take like, oh, how do you, how do you love that? Okay. So I would say that you would then look at the, like, let's say that they do something else instead, right? They, they fill their time with all these other things that you love. So you can focus on that. You can focus on the amount of energy that they get from other things. You can focus on how much joy they get from dancing around in their pajamas in the house while you're going for that run and how you come back and they're supercharged with energy. You can like whatever it is that's kind of just outside that sphere that is ultimately a result of that action that they take that's ultimately in some way part of it. You just <laughs> look at how much joy they have in sleeping in instead of going for that run with you, you know, and this, and how much joy you have in jumping back in bed with them while you're all sweaty and filled with endorphins. And, you know, the sex is great afterwards. You know, like there's there's a million different ways in which you can take something and kind of flip it on its head and give it love. And maybe that's not exa- a good example. Maybe that absolutely resonates with you. Yes, there's definitely examples where this would be really, really difficult to do, but that is one of the ways in which I would suggest that you could 
take those few things and you could definitely like apply mindfulness, but you could also try to like really look at them and really see what there is to love in that quality. Yes. Thank you for that wonderful example. Um, Another way that we could be active participants in our relationships is instead of taking their actions and our current actions for face value as this is what I'm getting now, this is what I'll always be getting in the future, and just being like, well, what do I do? Do I live with this or do I move on? Like our throwaway culture might suggest. Or could we possibly take more of an active mental participation in this relationship by leading with our energy, putting out our love, our acceptance, our power, stepping into that being of who we want to be in the relationship that then leads your partner or your friends or your mother, like whoever you're relating to, into that state of being or that that emotion with you. And it is hard work, you know, the emotional labor of creating relationships that feel good and safe um, and ideal for you wherever you're at. But I really love that idea that we do have that power to create those connections in a way that feels good for us. Um, And instead of being resentful about it, saying, oh, why do I have to do the work first, right? Like, why do I have to be the bigger person, for example? Instead, shifting that to, I get to be the one to lead my relationships. How beautiful is that? Thank you for that. I really needed that. Yeah, that's all I got to say on that. I really needed that. (laughs) Yeah, I'd rather be in a relationship where it's mutual and like they inspire me to change and they show me explicitly that they're committed to like being nourishing me as much as I nourish them and being as healthy as me and yeah so so I'm much more of like a judgmental selective person yeah what about in the case where you don't have a choice this person is in your life this relationship is one that they're there they're there you don't have a choice so I will say I'm very skeptical of how <laughs> how many of my relationships have died from high school and university. I have like zero high school friends, zero university friends. Um, so I'm definitely on the 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 far extreme, like per- perhaps perfectionism side of the spectrum. Um, and I actually think that is like that's the way to be. Like I think all we need is four really incredible intimate relationships in our lives. We do not need to settle for less. We do not need to tolerate people who stress us out, people who lag behind, and people who drain our energy. Because all we need is very few intimate, powerful, nourishing relationships. And as I look around this fire, I have four powerful beings in my life that I can talk about anything with and because I have four powerful beings surrounding this fire with me I don't have to tolerate 
I don't have to, I don't have to try and be friends with my family. I don't have to try and be friends with anyone because I've found my crew and they're so aligned and I don't need to like wait. I, I, I guess I don't need to like wait for people to change. <laughs> I, I appreciate your perspective. I respectfully disagree. Um, and I, I would like to point out that not everybody would require the same like quantity, right? Like it's been really interesting with my ex to see that, you know, for me to feel connected and part of the world, I want a wide web of community that stretches on and that this person knows this person and knows this person. And just like the connections just like spread out around me in this way that feels like almost a spider web and just like literally root me to the ground and root me to this world and the people in it. And that makes me feel connected and whole and able to, to get what I need. And for him, it was that though, for him, it was he needed a couple strong relationships and that made him feel rooted and connected to the world. And so I just want to shout out to anybody who has those different needs and those different connection patterns because it's all valid and it's all exactly, you know, the, the trick is again, figuring out what you want and going and getting those things for yourself. It gets as unique as the person. Yes. It's absolutely as unique as the person. <laughs> I'd also like to point out that as a female, with a female brain, we have very different brains that are actually structured and wired for more communication um, and emotional management. It's evolutionarily understood. We tend to do a lot of the emotional work in relationships, and that is just kind of something we might have to accept. I hope that, you know, more and more people wake up to this beautiful gift of emotional work and are open to working on it and learning about it. Um, but for now, I think mostly women are going to have to lead the way. Um, so if you're listening to this, thank you for participating in this conversation. Beautifully said. Thank you so much for that. Um, and what I want to add to that is about women needing women. I don't think there's any substitute for women for women because of this truth. And I think it's fighting this truth that causes us a lot of suffering in the world is, yeah, there is a bigger burden on us. It is. And so... I think it's so important for us to take accountability for what nourishes us and where that nourishment is infinite and abundant is with other women. And so the plug and invitation is for women to either find or create amongst themselves a network of powerful women who are open to showing up and nourishing those cups so that we may continue to go out and love powerfully in this way so imagine a world where everyone had everyone was a part of like a men's or women's group or you know not non-binary group like imagine if everyone was a part of one of these intimate circles where they met on a weekly basis and engaged in intimate human contact now i believe if everyone had this in their lives,
they would spend less time in toxic relationships and they would also chase romance less. So what I'm getting at, and I want to go back to Ash, what Astrid said about, you know, we were chatting about like accepting others and leading the way, leading the way in a relationship and, and letting our partner or friends follow us, follow in our footsteps. We could afford to be more selective if we had, we wouldn't have to put up with as much bullshit if we had those that regular intimate circle and I think you know Hannah I think what you said about like women needing women I think there's something really special about that but I think the key criteria is intimacy it's safety and I don't think gender really matters as much as safety because I've been a part of co-ed groups and I've been a part of men's groups. And when you feel extremely safe, what, what I urge people listening to this, like certainly go become a part of some recurring group that where, where people can share really emotional things. And I think what's most important is safety and intimacy, not that it's the shared gender. Yes, and yes, and, and, and. I, I do want to pull it back to, because yes, absolutely, it's it's the intimacy, it's the sharing, but I think part of the point from before was that due to the amount of emotional labor that tends to fall on the womb-bearing people of this world, that and the fact that we have been poisoned against our sisters by the patriarchy i'm gonna i'm gonna say those words and and it, it feels it feels like a anyways whatever it feels like patriarchy is a poison that lives in all of us it's not attributed to a specific gender all genders are poisoned by it and chris is going to share a bit more about what it means to have that poisoned against our sisters or however it was that you beautifully articulated it thanks yeah that like I've I've recently noticed that like sisterhood wound in myself that we're pitted against each other, right? We're taught to shame other women. We're taught to just be we've we've been horrible to other women, right? And we're finally waking up to this and it's it's coming. We're arriving, but it's there. And we have had to deal with that. And so yeah, the importance of finding a circle that can support you. And there's certain things that only womb bearing people understand it's just it's just true like there's just things that only we get and we need to talk to other people who get it yeah. and you just you need it and so i think that's where that comes from is isn't that group think though no 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 no, 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 sorry, sorry, um, three, they're like on person. Sounds like, uh, irrational response. Okay. <laughs> this is coming from a pinned down lingam person. <laughs> yeah, that, w that was just, uh, three women all trying to say no, 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 to, uh, the man in the room. Um... <laughs> <laughs> who uh that's that's exactly our point that there are things that women need to talk about amongst other women and that only 
we get. It just, and so, and one of those things is the emotional labor that can sometimes go in that we ultimately, we can look at the relationship and go, well, but it's not going to get there without me doing this work. And I have the privilege of being able to do this work, bringing it back to what Astrid said before, to allow this relationship to go forward and to allow me, allow us to work through it instead of putting it down and casting it aside. Yes. And I think I'd like to bring up a question or topic that maybe we should have opened with, which is why are relationships important? Why do we need them? Because we just spent a whole hour chatting about how to make them better. But let's just take it back a step. Okay, that is an amazing question. And I think we're going to have to leave it for next time. And I really hope we do get a chance to have another fireside chat like this. It was so great to just have this natural dialogue. As much as we were passing around a microphone, it was just, it, it flowed out. And I'm so incredibly grateful to each and every one of you for this conversation. And listeners, I hope you got something valuable out of it. And just before we close, I just wanted to give a chance to everybody to speak one more thought. What is that one lingering thought that you just have on your mind and you need to get out there to finish off this conversation? When we have intimate, secure, platonic relationships in our lives, we don't need as many, as much romantic relationship. And I don't think we need as much, like, sexual validation from the opposite sex so i i feel like when we cultivate intimacy in in the other parts of our lives it just helps us deepen the other romantic parts of our lives i'd like to add that wherever you are wherever you feel like you are just know that you are worthy of love loving yourself and the ability to love others just the way you are gorgeous thank you so much um yeah that's pretty much it right you're human you're alive that means you're worthy of love that means you literally are made of love and that relationships are great yep they're great that's that's the lesson we're taking from this if being alive is love and relationships multiply that love then does love plus relationship have an exponential relationship <laughs> okay all right now with that question on the table but that's that's a good point is that relationships amplify our human experience and amplify the love that we have for ourselves because we get to express it and experience it from others and i think that is maybe just a small touch on why relationships are so important and with that, we conclude this special fireside chat edition of Reclaim Your Radiance. If you would like us to expand upon the question, why do we have relationships and what purpose do they serve? Reach out, let us know, and we might just make that happen. Once again, we have Astrid, more widely known as Heather, who you can find doing brain health coaching and gut health coaching at her Instagram at neurofitforlife. We have Jacques, who you can seek out for all of your conscious event facilitating needs at thepartyscientist.com. 
And we have Hannah, who you can find at moderncoaching.net, as well as Hannah Vander Hayden on Facebook and Instagram if you want to level up your life and step into some greater emotional awareness and intelligence. And to use her words, to utilize the nervous system as a pathway to access our full spectrum of human experience. You can find those links and the full spelling in the episode description. And with that, we come to the end of this episode of Reclaim Your Radiance. Thank you so much for listening in. If you enjoyed this episode and came away with some valuable insights, the absolute best way you can show your support and appreciation is by sharing it with your friends or on social media. Your support is absolutely invaluable. To connect, find us on Instagram at Hell of a Hall or on TikTok at Reclaim Your Radiance. Or you can sign up for our mailing list to receive bonus content and stay in touch with what's happening in the world of Reclaim Your Radiance, including local workshops, retreats, self-love courses, personal one-on-one coaching, and so much more. Head on over to the episode notes in the show description to find those links, and we hope to hear from you soon. All right, everyone, until next time, stay radiant.